Good morning. Didn't she love that moment where you're wondering if he was going to pull the cord and she was going to go down or not? Anyway, it is good to be with you. Um, I, I thought before I start, I need to just name the elephant in the room. So yesterday I had to do a wedding and it was a wedding for one of the rugby players in our community. And, um, and I thought to myself before the wedding, I, I, I turned to Bones who was watching with me and I said, Bonesy, this is either going to be the best wedding of my life or it's going to be the hardest wedding of my life. And 20 minutes in, it was going to be the best wedding I'd ever done in my life. And 70 minutes in, I said to Bonesy, this is going to be the hardest wedding I've ever had to do in my life. But I, I was watching that game, and uh, I appreciated a few things. I appreciated that, that some of our locks and props would never get married if they were not Springboks. Um, there, there were moments of, of good things in that game. Uh, lots of people have asked me how my trip was. I just want to say this. I went in to... Um, to get my, my ticket, because I, I flew over to Indonesia. And when I went in, they said, the guy on the other side said, sir, you've been upgraded to business class. You know what, I knew, I'd heard people talk about the cattle section and the business class section, but I didn't realize how different they were. In fact, I could, you could tell that I was the wrong person in there because I was pressing up, down, all around, like I was going for it. And, and the lady next to me, she was giving me the snooty look that basically went, you don't belong here. <laughs> but they give, you, they give you champagne. And I know I'm a pastor, but man, that stuff was good. And, and just, oh, it was amazing. So anyway, I had a fantastic trip. We are going to get into, oh, I've got a couple of announcements. Who's in education? Who's in teaching education? Anyone just... Okay, so many. Please, will you stand? Please, if you don't mind standing, just stand for a moment. I know you hate the limelight, but you have to face your kids every day. So, Okay, I want you to reach out your hands to them. Let's bless them. Father, thank you for the people who educate our children. Thank you for grace on them, and I pray that you anoint them in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you can grab your seats, but this announcement's just for you. My wife is part of a team of Christians in City Story, in the education field, there's, there's a team of people who look to bring the kingdom into education. So they link Christians from all churches in Durban into making a difference. And there's a conference called Rise Up coming up on the 5th of October where they'll talk to you about bringing the kingdom into education. If you can go to that, I think it'll be a blessing. Please go to that. Second thing, if you're in business, I've currently got 10 mentors. I need another 10. We're going down to the private school in Mlazi and we're going to look to mentor some of the kids. So if you're interested, please will you speak to me. And there was a third announcement, oh, interns. If, you, if you've got kids in the 18-19 space and you're considering internship, please come speak to me. We'd love to help them. But now I'm going to get into my message. Father, will you anoint me with your spirit to lead people to you? In Jesus' name, amen. In the 80s, there was a culling operation done in Kruger National Park on elephant. There were, <clears throat> I think currently, there's supposed to be 18,000 elephants in Kruger National Park, and I think they're sitting at around 70,000, something ridiculous. That's just huge numbers of, of elephant. But back in the 80s, they didn't know what to do with them, so the only thing they could do is cull. But because they didn't want to cull all the elephant, they culled they killed the adult elephant and they kept the, the baby elephant and then they took those baby elephants and they put them into a national park called Pielensburg National Park. The elephant went into there and quite quickly they began 
to move towards rhino. And they started hanging around the rhino and they started kind of bonding to the rhino. The, the elephant then grew older and when they hit teenage years, they hit this thing called must. Now must is, um, <clears throat> you'll understand it if you've had teenage boys. Must is when you have too many hormones and not enough IQ. That's, that's basically what must is. Elephants should hit must at 28-ish. These elephants hit it at about 16, 17, 18. And so they tried to mate with the rhino, which is never going to go well. And, and so then they got frustrated and angry and they started killing rhino. And by the 90s, they'd killed 63 rhino. They'd gone absolutely rogue. And so the National Park didn't know what to do with them, so they sent a professional hunter in to, to shoot one of the elephants. He got killed, and then another guy went in, he shot one of the elephants, it was an absolute disaster. And so they thought, we need to do something else. And by this time, they, they had the equipment to move an adult elephant. So here's some pictures. This is a picture of, his name is Tom Tum, killing a rhino. And then here's another picture. This elephant, his name is Amarula. Amarula was a father elephant. He was a fully grown bull, probably in the region of 30 to 40 years old. He weighed five tons. The other young elephant in the region of four tons. So they got Amarula and they dropped him into Pilansburg. And the first thing that happened is those young males, one of the young males decided to attack this bull. Five tons meets four tons, and five tons, they said, lifted four tons off the ground and threw him onto the ground. And within one day, all rogue behavior stopped. Some of you are laughing really hard. When fathers come into situations, rogue behavior stops. Fatherlessness is so prevalent today. In fact, it's, it's fascinating because 100 years ago, fatherlessness happened because, because men went to war. This is the first generation where fatherlessness has happened as a result of abscondment because fathers hit the hippie era and they, they decided they were just going to do their own thing and there was an abandonment of fathers and the result was the world went rogue. In this country, fatherlessness happened because of the evils of apartheid. They moved men out of their family units and put them onto mines, and the result was they broke down the nucleus, and we have, we, we have the, the whole movement of am I next, and all of that, that came, that's come out, which is just a symptom of people going rogue. And it's not just in South Africa, it's all across the world. I was in Bali, and... Um, we had the one night there, and we were walking down the road, and with, within about 10 steps, my one mate was offered Viagra, ladies, ladyboys, and cocaine. I said to him, how come you got offered all that stuff, and I didn't get offered any of that stuff? What's, what's going on there? But, but this world's gone rogue, and, and we lack fathers, which is why we have to come back to the father. And it's why Christians have such a big role to play in demonstrating the Father and showing and revealing the Father to people. And so what I'm going to speak about tonight, today is, is revealing the Father. You see, when you look throughout all of Scripture, what you realize is there's a war. Now, if you're not a Christian, you kind of hear this, you're like, eh, fabulous. Just come on the journey with me. 
What we believe as Christians is that Satan is out to, for one purpose, to destroy the relationships between sons and daughters and the father. And so we read this in, in 2 Corinthians 4. It says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the gospel. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. There's a war. It starts with Adam and Eve. Adam, Luke says, the son of God, is led astray by Satan away from God, away from the Father. And then we, we go through the scripture and, and God speaks about Israel. He says, my firstborn son, Israel. And we go generation after generation of the sons, Israel, turning away from the father, turning away from the father. And God keeps raising up people to bring them back to the father. But they keep turning away and turning away through the judges, through the prophets, through the kings, all the way through, they keep turning away from the father. And it's one story after the next of every now and again, a light, someone grabbing hold of his sonship. But God watches one generation turn away from the father after the next, and eventually he says, I will send my son. And the purpose of the son is primarily to reveal the father and then make a way for us to get to the father and then model to us a relationship between a son and a father. Jesus' job is that, bring children back to the father. But before he could begin to reveal the Father and before he could begin to bring us back to the Father and before he could show us how to live Father and Son, he had to live through what we all go through, which is the temptation of the devil to lead us out of the Father-Son relationship. And so in Matthew 3.16, if you've got your Bibles with me, turn, turn there with me and it says this. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. Then Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. That word led, it, it's not a gentle word. It's he was pushed out into the wilderness to be tempted. And it says, during that time, the devil came to him and he said, if you are the son of God, Tell those stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the Father. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt it to your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. And next the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him the kingdoms of this world and all their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. When the father comes to Jesus and he speaks these words, he bestows identity on him and he says, the, the, the spirit's on him like a dove and he says, this is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. Now, I, I grew up from, from naught to 10 without a father. And uh, <clears throat> what you learn 
without a father because he'd abandoned us. You, you live with a mom, and, and what you learn in that space, though she did such a phenomenal job, is you, you learn that you have to provide for you. And, and you learn that no one's going to protect you. And you learn that you have to teach yourself how to do things. And you learn that, you learn that it's on you, which is the heart of an orphan. And then my dad comes along. And up until that point, whenever I was around other boys, they would talk about what they did with their dad on the weekend and, and what their dad taught them. And I didn't have that story. But now I am the son of Gary. And I come into a different relationship. And I didn't realize how much it had changed me until I got a cricket bat. So I come out of... An, Put it this way, my mom's on a teaching salary, and we ate a lot of mints, enough mints for the rest of my life. We, we ate a lot of mints, but, and she did everything she could to provide for me, but, but you just don't have the same amount. When I came onto the farm, we have fishing rods, and, and we had weapons to hunt, and we had, I, I just, life opened up for me, but I get this cricket bat. I'm so passionate about cricket, by that stage, it's my first cricket bat. So I get linseed oil. Do you remember when you had to do this? And then linseed oil all over it, and I knocked it in. And I, I destroyed my mom's sheets because I, put, I slept in the bed with it because it was my first cricket bat, and it was, my, it was my only cricket bat, and I was so excited. And I went to school the one day. And on the way back, I was in grade four. There was a grade six. He said, can I see your cricket bat? And I was so proud of this cricket bat. And I, I said, yes, you can see my cricket bat. And he looked at it, and he started tapping it on the ground. And he was banging it against a piece of metal. And I said, don't do that. Now, you've got to understand, up until that time, I was a shy little geeky, very skinny, too long, very white. My, my daughter says that I'm coffee. My wife, my wife is peach and I'm coffee now. But back then, I was white. I'd never had the backing of a dad. When, when they had those conversations about my dad will beat up your dad, I didn't have any dad. But now my dad was a professional hunter, and he might have been smaller than you, but he'll shoot your ass from 200 meters, and you'll be dead. <laughs> and so this kid's he's banging this cricket bat. I said, no. And I got up, this scrawny little runt, and I walked up to him, and I smacked him so hard in the nose, blood went everywhere. I landed, angels rejoiced, heaven opened up. The grace of God came into the moment. I landed up in the headmaster's office, but it was beautiful. Because I was now the son of Gary. And now I had someone who had my back. And now, now it wasn't me on my own, forging my own way, making the only thing happen by my effort, now I had someone who would get my back. See, we live in this orphan-hearted world where there's no one to provide, so we hustle. And there's no one who will protect, so we form gangs. And there's no one who will bestow identity and acceptance regardless of, our, of how we behave. And so you shape your own identity because no one's gonna do do it for you. I want to tell you, when I have a tough day at work, I go back to where I'm a son. 
it's different now. I go back to the place where I'm not a pastor or an elder or a boss. I'm just a son. I go back to Gary's house. I go back to the Father, where I am accepted in the beloved. I'm accepted in this family. I am loved regardless of the dumb 40 things I've just done. I am approved of because this family loves me. It's, it's called sonship. And the Heavenly Father is reaching out to many of you today and He's going, I want you to come back into sonship because you've been orphaning this thing and you've been trying to make it your own way for so long and you're not going to win. Come back to me. Satan comes to Jesus and he says, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And what, I, what I love about it is Jesus could have. I mean, if you can feed 5,000 people with five loaves, you can turn stones into bread. He could have. But he doesn't because he's going to wait for the father. Because if he turned the stones into bread, he would have acted like an orphan and he would have performed his way out of this problem. But he doesn't. He goes, no, I'm a son, so I'm going to wait for the father. And I want to say this to you. Temptation, for the most part, is not overcome by willpower. Temptation is overcome by what you believe. Jesus believed, I am the son, he is the father, he is perfectly good and he loves me completely. So there will come a moment where he will deliver me from this. And so he waits until the father sends ministering angels to feed him. But Satan goes after him and then Satan comes to him and he, and he says to him, he takes him to the top of the mountain of Jerusalem and he says, if you're the son of God, jump off. Satan has three weapons. In 1 John 2, it explains them. It says, he has the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And he has three weapons. And people say to me, I've heard lots of people say that he's not particularly creative because he's only got three weapons. I think Satan's very creative. He has three weapons because he knows he doesn't need any other weapons. These things work. And so he comes, let me tell you how this works out. He comes to Eve. And he says, Eve, look at that tree over there. And on that tree are Woolies apples. They're not checkers apples. They're Woolies apples. And she looks at them, and they're beautiful. And she looks at them, and, and she starts, her salivary glands start going. Looking at them and seeing them as beautiful, that's lust of the eyes. Looking at them and your salivary glands going, I have to have this, is lust of the flesh. But then Satan says to her, he says, if you take of that apple, you will become like gods. The people translate that like God. It's actually like gods. What Satan's trying to lure her into is being something she's not, being an angelic being, being something different to who she is. Uh, and, and he says, you will become like gods. And so she looks at it and she goes, it looks beautiful. It will taste delightful, and I will become something more than I am, so I am going to take of it. Satan comes to Jesus, and he appeals to his flesh. He says, turn the stones into bread because it's been 40 days and you're darn hungry. And then he appeals to the pride of life. He says, jump off here, because if you're God, prove it. Now, I want to, I want to just tell you this. If you have orphan-heartedness in you, you will spend your life trying to prove yourself. 
I know because growing up, my whole life was about proving that I had what it takes, that proving that I could be the best at sport, proving that I could get the girls to like me, proving that I could get these mates. Everything was about proving. And I realized this only after I got saved. I had a father who was bestowing identity and love on me regardless of my behavior. I wasn't aware of it, but it was happening. God revealed it to me afterwards. If you go to my home, I'm a single child. It explains a lot. When you go to my house, there are, my, when you went to my home and Zim, there were photos of me everywhere, all over the show. There were just photos of me. My parents were doting. It was disgustingly awesome. And they had photos of my first hundred, and photos of problem animals that we'd hunted, and they had photos of, of all my achievements, but there was this one photo that made no sense. There's one photo, my dad is dressed in khaki brooker, about this short, and nothing else, and he's completely bronze. And he's got three fish. He's got one in this hand and two in this hand. And here I am, I'm dressed in jeans, a coat, I've got a hat on, I've got shoes on, and I've got no fish. So I said to him, the one day I said, Dad, I, I get those photos, but what's going on with this photo? He says, no, that's my favorite photo. So I said, why is it your favorite photo? He says, you were sick. The doctor told, told us that you needed to stay at home, but I smuggled you fishing. I took you out. You caught nothing. But I got to be with you that day, and it was one of the best days of my life. You have a heavenly father who's looking out of you, some of you, and you're going, I haven't performed. I'm not good enough. And he's going, I just want to be with you because it will be the best day of my life. You don't prove your way into sonship. You receive sonship by a father who bestows it upon you and it changes everything. Some of you today, God's saying today, I want to bestow it on you. I want to change your reality on who you are by what my word says about you and I want to shift it all around. Jesus responds to it and he says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. I'm not going to jump. Satan, I have nothing to prove to you. You know what? One of the things that I've started saying over my life, I have nothing to prove to you. I have nothing to prove to you. If my father is approved with me, if my father was approved with Jesus, gave his approval to Jesus before Jesus had done a single miracle, then, Je then approval is something that is given to me based on who I am. And the way I look at my little boy, Geordie, even though he does some really dope stuff, is I have so much love for him because he's mine, not because he performs well. Satan comes to Jesus lastly and he says, he shows him all the kingdoms of this world and he says, I'll give them to, all to you if you bow down and worship me. And I read that that first time. And, and I read that and I thought to myself, why on earth would that be a temptation to Jesus? And then I realized. Because Jesus had two ways of getting the kingdoms of this world. One was to bow down and worship Satan. And the other was to suffer. And he chooses to suffer. Now I want to just hop here for a moment, because one of the things about sonship, one of the things that makes you know that sonship is, is it's found its way into your heart is when suffering is not a problem. 
You see, if you're going to be in the family business, then your pride of the father will drive you to suffer on his behalf if it represents him well. If you are in the business of orphan, then your comfort will drive you and suffering you'll run from. Jesus goes, the only way I can lead them back to him is if I suffer on the cross and I will become sin for their sinfulness that they could become righteous with my righteousness. Now, let me tell you why this is so, so important. So I go to Bali, get this business class experience, unbelievable. Then I go surfing. Now just for those surfers, I just want to hurt you. I, I, I surfed sometimes for seven hours a day. I, I surfed three times a day and cutted once a day. Like that's how good it was. It was, the waves were so good. Where's, where's Stevie? There's Steve. The, Steve, the waves were so good. And, and I surf, okay, I was surfing so well. Like, it was unbelievable, Steve. I just want you to know that. <laughs> and everything of my body was satisfied and broken, but satisfied. And everything, I had such good mates around who I love with all my heart, love me. And my emotions were satisfied. And I read a book whilst I was there, and my mind was satisfied. But it was only on about the fourth night when some drunk Aussie comes up to our table. And you know when a person's just TMI, like too much information. He just begins sharing and sharing and sharing, like, oh, come on, brother. And he's just sharing, and I was thinking to myself, this is why we don't like Aussies. And then he starts going on about his wife's leaving him. And he keeps sharing. And my friend Dave's standing right next to him, and, and Dave turns to him, and he says, don't run away. He says, to, he says to us, I'm in Zimbabwe because I want to drink and surf. I just want to forget about this. And Dave says, don't give up. And Dave tells him his story, and then Dave says, says to him, Jesus will help you win back that woman if you'll fight for her. And he starts telling him the gospel. And in that moment, though everything else in my life was satisfied, I realized my soul wasn't satisfied. And as Dave was speaking to him, a father speaking to a lost son, I realized my soul started to be satisfied because I need the father. I need the kingdom breathing through me. It makes me come alive because in that moment, I'm connecting with the father. And that's where my soul gets satisfied. That man, he, he says to Dave, he says, I didn't know why I came here. I didn't know why I was talking so much. But I just knew that there was a father here. You know, that was the best experience of the whole trip. The second best experience of the whole trip is we went to like end of this island and the reef had been dead everywhere that we'd gone. And we, we go for a walk in nowhere. And as we're walking along, the coral starts coming alive. And in some places, it was so luminescent that you would look and you'd just go, oh my word, I've never seen colors like that. Just a little bit of water of it. 
And I was looking at one piece of coral. And out of my spirit burst spontaneous praise. I couldn't help it. I just started praising God. And as I was praising, my two friends who are Christians started praising God. And it just became a moment of praise. And in that moment, I could feel my soul was satisfied. Now, I tell you this because some of you, your heads are satisfied. And your emotions are satisfied. And you're in good marriages and you're successful businesses and and maybe you're making it in a whole bunch of spaces, but you know that your soul is not satisfied because the soul only gets satisfied when you come back to the Father. And Jesus is the only way back to the Father. And I want to give you a chance to come back to the Father. So I'm going to ask you all to stand. And we're going to have some worship. Guys, come up. Why don't you just bow your heads for a moment? Jesus, will you save some people today? If you have never come to the Father and you want to come back to the Father today, why don't you lift up your hand so I can pray for you? See your hand, 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 see your hand. See your hand. See your hand. for those seven or eight people I want you to pray this Jesus thank you so much for going to the cross I want to to explain this to you because otherwise you you won't get this If if you got so everybody else can keep your eyes closed but if you put up your hand just watch me God the Father is a holy God. And impurity burns up in him. When Jesus went to the cross, he had no sin, not an ounce of it. There was not a bit of it. And in his perfect purity, he became all sin. Came on him. If he was perfect and yet could carry all sin, then you so that you're so imperfect can receive all his righteousness. It's called the divine exchange. And if you're made righteous, then you can come to the Father. You can't get there any other way. So what you're praying right now is you're going, Jesus, thank you that you made me righteous so I can come to the Father despite the mess of my life. And now you want to ask this, Heavenly Father, will you father me? Will you take my life and shape it and define it and direct it? God, will you, will you take it and use it? I want to be part of your family. Amen. And for the rest of us, I just want to pray. If you're, um, if you're coming back to the Father today, If you're a Christian, you probably push yourself away from the Father because of how you act. You want to come back today? Just lift your hands and go, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you, that I am accepted in the beloved, that you have bestowed sonship, your approval, your acceptance on me. I thank you, God, that nothing I could do other than turning away from your Son 
could push me away from you. So I come back and Father, will you take me in your arms? Will you adopt me? Will you speak your love over me? Will you change my life? Will you redirect it? And I ask right now, I pray of you, Holy Spirit, will you put your love into their hearts and may they feel your approval in Jesus' name. Amen. May God bless you and keep you and fill your life with love. Please join us for tea and coffee. God bless you.